Welcome to Doc9 Tech Talks. Good morning, everyone. I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Vicky Birkby, who is Director of Customer Strategy and Change at Beaumont Green, who are the company behind Vida Home Loans. So today we're going to discuss some of the key technology trends driving change within the mortgage sector, their vision of the optimal future mortgage journey, and how new technology has underpinned Vida's recent re-entry into the market. So firstly, uh, thanks for joining us, Vicky. Do you want to start by giving us a quick overview about yourself and your role at Beaumont Green? Yeah, sure. And thank you very much for having me. Um, so I guess, yeah, in terms of my background, so um, I actually trained as an architect originally. Um, okay. So architect of buildings rather than computer systems. Um, <laughs> and I actually always found the business side of that a little bit and the creative side of the business more interesting mm. than perhaps buildings, which okay. um, probably serves the greater public quite well um so i actually did a bit of architecture post leaving university and then went to accenture um i was there for quite a long time and um, started as an analyst and kind of went up through the ranks i guess and um certainly for me that was quite a good grounding across the end-to-end -end, um, change world strategy world uh, across lots of different industries um and in my last couple of years there i worked quite a lot with um some of the leaders of the, the sort of larger um, uh, mortgage lenders uh, across the UK and also the then Council of Mortgage Lenders, now UK Finance, really around what the future of the mortgage industry would look like, and in particular, how technology um, and I guess the future view of, of, of kind of the future workforce would really impact the mortgage industry. Yes. Um, I then left Accenture in 2018 and um, moved to a slightly smaller consultancy firm um, called the Barclay Partnership, uh, which was awesome. It just gave me some slightly more broad experience around some different industries and different types of work. Um, and I actually landed with them at Vida or Belmont Green um, in early 2019, um, just a, a large scale transformation program. Um, and seven months later, I decided to take the leap out of uh, management consultancy and into industry. So been with Vida now for just over a year officially, um, but coming up to two years unofficially. Um, and yeah, it's been great. So yeah, as you said, Mark, I'm the director of customer strategy and change. I guess my role within the business really is to support um, straight through from AMP from a CEO perspective in terms of you know, what does the future direction of the industry, but also of us as a business look like? Um, how can we then manifest that back into the operation um, and the products and the proposition that we have across the business? Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, my responsibilities lie in um, ensuring that the change investments that we make across the business uh, are replicated um, and delivered as best as we can. Cool. Sounds good. Interested to hear about your architecture background. I uh, was, was, was aware of that. Um, so in terms of you must have had a busy year then, or, or 18 months at uh, Vida Belmont Green, because Vida's made quite a, a, a splash recently re-entering the market, uh, including the launch of the Milo chatbot that we developed together, uh, your recent announcement of a new core platform that's been developed with Zoot. Um, would you be able to share some of the insights that are driving this investment in technology at Vida? Yeah, sure. So I think um, certainly that was one of the things that attracted me to take up a permanent role at the company um, was really the opportunity to, I guess, um, and we've talked about this a lot before, but mortgage is absolutely ripe for disruption. I think we've seen a lot of change within broader retail banking. Um, and I think now is really the time within mortgages that we're seeing, particularly, um, I guess, the trust and the maturity of the different technologies that support that sort of end-to-end -end onboarding process. Mm -hmm. um, and really incorporating that into the end-to-end -end customer journey, the end-to-end -end intermediary journey. Um, and I think certainly the uptake that we've um, seen, you know, it's been kind of a gradual uptake, but, but certainly, I mean, COVID has kind of reinforced the speed of 
of transition, I think, yes. um, some of the technologies. So, um, yeah, I guess about a kind of year or so ago, um, we did quite a lot of work just to understand the opportunities within the industry. Um, and in particular, you know, we kind of recognised that there are quite a few challenges, particularly on the intermediary and the customer onboarding, um, mm. but also that kind of end-to-end, -end, I guess, home buying um, and home living or, or, or kind of letting um, journey, really. Um, and so I think for us, you know, ultimately it's kind of using that technology, using the data, um, understanding kind of like, you know, where can you sort of optimize things across the end to end? Um, mm. But also I think, uh, um, and again, this kind of came through in some of the work that I was doing um, whilst at Accenture, but it's really challenging the status quo as to, you know, obviously the mortgage industry is a very kind of old um, traditional in some senses industry. Um, mm. And I think more traditionally kind of people have looked at effectively digitalizing um, the, the existing processes, i.e., you know, mm. we have, processes A, B, C, and D, and therefore we need to put A, B, C, and D into the computer. But for us, it's very much kind of challenging some of that as well. So obviously we need to make sure that from a, you know, a kind of regulatory perspective, from a risk perspective, we're absolutely comfortable with that. But it, it, it's kind of like also, you know, what do the customers want? What do the intermediaries want? How can we help make their lives as easy as possible and really use technology and data? Um, and we've got the concept of sort of augmented reality, I guess, which augments that technology and data, but alongside the human, um, support which absolutely is required for I guess a, a kind of mortgage product just because yeah. of the complexities that it is. That's really interesting so I guess so you're right so in terms of the mortgage sector I think it'd be fair to say compared to others within financial services probably maybe a couple of years behind in terms of you know some of the basics just passing data electronically between different parties for example and things like that uh, and there has been a growing momentum in recent years you know lots of talk around you know leveraging AI open banking digital ID, chatbots, APIs, et cetera, to really try and deliver a more frictionless uh, process for customers and for intermediaries as well. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us on your vision for what that future journey uh, uh, could look like and, and how you're gonna make that reality? Yeah, I guess, um, sorry, this is probably not necessarily Vida uh, initially, but I think for me, and again, it kind of leans off the, the work that I did a few years back ago, uh, sort of Accenture and, and with UK Finance, was really, I think, that the whole sort of ecosystem, I guess, that surrounds that sort of mortgage environment and mortgage being like more the kind of lender part of that, but mm -hmm. the kind of home buying and home owning and home letting ecosystem um, is quite fragmented. So I think for me, actually, the key to unlocking it all um, isn't necessarily um, the kind of individual companies themselves, but it's almost the, the kind of overarching um, kind of collaboration engagement be between the different parties that sit within that ecosystem. So right through from the estate agents to the intermediaries, to the lenders, to the um, valuers and surveyors, to the conveyances, all the way through to HM land registry who ultimately kind of write your titles with you. Mm. In my head, actually kind of creating an, 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 you know, an end to end kind of API language that almost goes and flows between those mm -hmm. um for me is ultimately where i think the industry should get to um now clearly like us as a lender within that um we are kind of a you know a part of that broader ecosystem mm -hmm. um so i guess from our perspective you know it's trying to um, absolutely at that kind of upfront stage of the initial interaction with the with the intermediaries making that as kind of seamless um, as possible so we are seeing lenders i guess in the industry um, now look to incorporate those apis both into the sourcing systems but also into the broker crms um, and then you know, working very closely with those intermediaries to go through that origina origination and onboarding process for the customers um, supporting them with um, whatever i guess data can be obtained in a digital format um, and kind of uh, where we again we trust that data and we have the confidence in that data um, effectively 
you know, reducing the volume of, of kind of paperwork and requests that would go out both to the intermediary and the customer throughout their journey and right. streamlining that as much as possible really mm-hmm. um, and then I guess again kind of utilizing those new technologies so AVMs, desktops um, to, to not necessarily replace physical valuations so I think absolutely physical valuations still have their place mm-hmm. but for certain types of properties certain types of purchase it will definitely be purchases um, yeah. but for those kind of simpler remortgages for example you know I think we ultimately we'll see kind of an increase in that and I think that's certainly be prevalent in in terms of the COVID um, things that we've seen within the industry as well. Yeah that's certainly something we saw wasn't it through, through necessity to keep some business ticking through I guess we saw a lot more adoption of you know AVMs and uh, uh, some people removing the you know the requirement for wet signatures etc so I guess uh, um, it'd be interesting to see how long lasting that kind of mindset shift is, I guess, because, you know, now that, you know, touch wood, um, hopefully there won't be another lockdown and that's not strictly necessary, but now that people can see the advantages uh, of digital, you know, the real business need for this. I mean, certainly at Dot9, the conversations I'm having, I have noticed quite a, um, quite a big mindset shift, actually, a bit of an acceleration in terms of previous conversations from years ago now reigniting around, okay, now, well, now we're ready actually to move ahead with, you know, more sort of meaningful digital transformation so do you think that'll be a kind of a transitory temporary phenomenon when people sort of revert back to old ways of thinking or do you think it's be that was such a shock that it'd be such a that it'd be more of a permanent kind of mindset shift i think i think personally i hope it is a, a mindset shift i think um part of it is, is almost the, the the trust that you have in a in the technology and b in the data that that kind of you're, you're utilizing for those things mm. and i think almost the more people that that use those mechanisms you know those new technologies the yeah. more that can improve the more data that then goes into the system the more refined it can be then you know with abms the increase in the amount of confidence in a particular yeah. abm type and it's kind of like a compound effect that it mm. improves and enhances that maturity but most importantly the trust and I think that's trust, obviously, from a kind of lender perspective in terms of we're comfortable with our risk and, and kind of what we're lending on, but also from a regulatory perspective, that, that the kind of trust that we have in that data absolutely serves what we need to from a regulatory perspective. There's some innovative products. I can't remember the name of the company, but during lockdown, they launched a, a product that was an AVM solution that was also backed up by insurance. So ultimately, if they, if that was, uh, if it turned out to be incorrect for some reason, valuation that it had a, you know, it had another level of security and trust uh, for those utilising it. So I think, um, I think that's probably something that's going to continue to mm. move forward. Um, interesting. Touching on, uh, you talked a lot about utilising data and automation, etc., um, which all makes complete sense. But I guess Vida being a specialist lender. You know, naturally, the type of cases that are coming to you, there I'd imagine there'll always be an element of human underwriting for a lot of cases. Is it is the approach more around kind of sort of augmenting, you know, uh, uh, um, that human effort and really focusing that human effort on on tasks that we really need it versus you know some of the you know, tasks that we really don't need human effort, reading of data, etc. Is that kind of the approach that you're you're sort of taking? Yeah, definitely. And I think sort of across the industry, um, certainly within that sort of some of that decisioning elements um, mm. where you can have rule based decisions. Mm. Uh, absolutely. And if they're kind of like black and white and they're, you know, they're very easy as you kind of um, to evidence and, and, and kind of make a decision on, then you should be doing that. And, and equally, you know, going out and getting data where you can get that data and you don't have mm. to kind of over orchestrate um, the, the information you're requesting, but you still make sure you get what you can. Yeah. Um, so basically, I suppose our, our kind of view is that where it is simple or, or, or where um, that's rule based or where that data is available digitally now in, in kind of trusted sources, um, absolutely try and um, automate as much of that as you can. Because what that then does is that allows our operations teams and our underwriters to be able to spend the time 
really on on kind of that human interaction that human element of really assessing that case getting into the thick of that case but almost like the groundwork i guess as to how they're going to assess it um would have been done kind of quite a lot from through the system and actually intuitively kind of I know you use the word, but we definitely have something in our in, internally where we talk about augmented underwriting all the time. Okay. It's using that technology and using that data as much as we can, but sitting alongside it, absolutely, we still see a, a, a place absolutely for, for underwriters because that's the mortgage is a complex thing. Yeah. Um, in my mind, you, you're definitely always going to, to need an element of that for sure. I think certainly in terms of the complexity of the labour market, you know, post-COVID, you know, moving, you know, incomes are going more com complex anyway in terms of the gig economy and more, you know, uh, self-employed people, etc. Definitely, mm -hmm. that's uh, uh, there'll always be sort of a need for that specialist in. So I guess yeah. I think sorry, I was going to say, and I think it's also just supporting our colleagues to be able to understand you where you kind of source all of that information, mm. where is it that they then need to focus their time. Mm -hmm. So there might be that some parts of the, of the kind of underwriting, be that you know, the customer's personal situation or personal information, um, their personal finances or the property, it might be that like some elements of that are, are kind of fine. Um, it might be that some elements of that we need to do more work to look into. So it's also supporting our, our underwriters to be able to focus their efforts on, on where that uh, insight's required, I guess. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. I guess kind of a related uh, kind of question would be, um, the future role of the broker in this world of you know, increasing automation, etc. What's kind of Vida's vision for the, the future or how you think that the role of the broker will change? Yeah, I think for us, absolutely, brokers you know, um, are, are very much at the heart of everything that we do. Um, you know, we've, we've recently launched a, a kind of innovation hub uh, we call the V-Lab um, and we're getting brokers to provide us with constant feedback across our end-to-end -end from our product and our proposition through to our kind of journey and our process, how we interact with customers, etc. They're very much intrinsic to what we do um, and I very much see that and, and kind of you can just look at the stats, you know, 77% of the market um, is introduced through brokers and, and that's only going up. So I definitely think that the, the brokers um, you know, will continue to be a, a significant core of of the market, and I think almost particularly in the situations that we are now finding ourselves in, where even pre-COVID, where you have more kind of gig economy, and um, you know, it's just a more complex world in which we mm. live in. Um, does actually require perhaps that sort of additional support and advice anyway to be able to make sure that a customers know kind of which lenders will be able to support them depending on their their circumstances um but also just to support them through that end-to-end -end if they do have particularly kind of uh you know, complex circumstances that they operate within yeah yeah that makes sense I think the one, sorry i was gonna say like i think the one thing for me possibly is 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 maybe seeing uh, an increase in in more of a kind of aggregator um mm -hmm. kind of um part of the market so perhaps and and, and again some of those um, more modern brokers might do it them, themselves too but it's almost kind of things like remortgages where a customer's been through it a few times before it's quite a simple shift actually yeah. um i think that quite a few customers might actually want to try to be more self-service in in that respect but still absolutely kind of probably go through those um comparison sites in effect or those um, sourcing mm. systems i guess in a way um to go directly through um but i do think that i almost see kind of aggregators and brokers kind of coming together in a way as well yes i think that's a trend i think on the head we've we've seen in terms of the rise of you know product transfer becoming a bigger portion of the market and you know really um and we've done a lot of user testing at dot nine um 
over the last couple of years. And you know, look after mind back, there was lots of speculation uh, uh, in the mortgage crisis a few years ago about the rise of you know the robo mortgage advisor and sort of people predicting that you wouldn't have uh, mortgage advisors, you'd all be AI driven, etc. Some kind of of the, the kind of more bold predictions, I guess. But actually, when we got to the lab and tested some of these propositions with users. So yes, when they're buying their insurance online, or, or kind of, a, or even a question like, you know, your pension, uh, your appetite for risk of your pension, that's fundamentally five or six questions around your risk appetite. Yeah. However, your, a mortgage is a lot more of a sort of emotive topic, and it's such a big purchase or a big, you know, financial commitment. Uh, that actually, what we found is, you know, yes, people want some demographics, and some people want to be able to self-service, do some of that initial sourcing, get a rough idea themselves, um, and perhaps gives, you know, use digital ID plug into open banking, there's definitely like an openness to that. But ultimately, even if it is just that hour or two call at the key part of the process from a qualified mortgage advisor, um, we found that, you know, throughout all the demographics, that is something that comes through really strongly. Uh, but that's, yeah, you're right, but that, when it comes to remortgaging and uh, kind of product transfer, there's a bit less of a reason, I guess, there. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, you know, if we think about, um, the whole process of you know buying a house, getting a mortgage, etc. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, you know, as one lender, you can do a lot of great stuff to optimize the dip and application process. You can make it that super slick, uh, etc. But the whole life cycle of that that journey, um, you know, often a lot of the pain and slowdown is at the conveyancing stage. And I think everyone's kind of probably been through that's bought a house has kind of been through that, that process. Uh, and you know, it can be a little bit frustrating and quite archaic in many ways, uh, and probably an area that's really ripe for ripe for change. Um, we've seen HM Lamb Registry doing some really interesting stuff in recent years with their digital street uh, and also digital mortgage deeds. Um, how do you see that conveyancing process changing in the coming years? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it certainly is an area of the of the industry that, um, again, we keep using the phrase, but it's kind of ripe for disruption. And um, I think just from my personal experience, just recently kind of going through a new purchase and, um, you know, I got sent a, a paper copy from the from the solicitor or the conveyancer of a form that I had to fill in and send back to them. So I did that within two days and back again. Yep. And a day after that, I then got a, a link through to an online form, which was basically exactly the same thing, but with like, five less questions in it um, and obviously that was a lot easier because it then didn't mean I had to find an envelope that I don't have order that off Amazon and, <laughs> and then pop it in the post box so I think that there's um, you know we're, we're kind of proactively looking at how we can help that because I think it's also just from a from a customer perspective as well and also clearly from a broker perspective of understanding where things are up to but from a customer perspective I think when you're sort of engaging through a lender and particularly if you've appointed a conveyancer um, through that lender, or, or you know, have been appointed through that lender. Um, it might, again, this is my personal experience, um, but I kind of then associate that uh, conveyancer with my experience of, mm -hmm. of being with that lender. Um, and I know a few of the conveyancers as well sort of white label themselves and do also have the, you know, the lender uh, view. So, to your point, if you've got a very slick upfront process, then by the time you get to the conveyancing, it kind of goes out to someone who, as a customer, mm -hmm. even same brand but they're asking me for the same information again like my id or information yeah. about me or information about my family that to me is like it's quite broken so um yeah i think definitely use of, of apis but also just kind of intuitive dashboards really that inform everybody where everything's up to at any moment in time because i do appreciate that from a convincing perspective those guys have to do the checks that they need to do yeah. um as well um yeah. again i think like it comes back to my point around the, the sort of end when ecosystem and kind of link that together and I just wonder whether 
actually from a, there's so many digital sources and, and digital you know, places you can go and get that information or share that information. Yeah. Actually, if, if from a, like a, I don't know, from a regulated perspective, if they put in a, a, a time rating that certain um, you know, source providers could, could give, yes. then actually yeah. could you just share that information amongst the yeah. industry if they would have met that standard and therefore mm -hmm. everybody involved in the ecosystem can trust that yeah. rather than having to ask customers five different times throughout the journey to give their idea. Yes, I think the ID is a really interesting point. So we've been talking to digital ID providers a couple of years and it's the obvious solution here is if you give your digital ID to one party, if it's trusted along with the rest of the parties that they could tokenize that, share that along, you know, not have to ask for that later down the journey, but it's just not possible at the moment because they, there's no kind of regulatory, it's, it's early doors, isn't it? In that, yeah. as a technology there's no kind of regulatory kind of framework that would enable them to do that because they have their own responsibility to do their due diligence etc uh, and there was an interesting government um, uh, uh, paper released where they're trying to kind of coalesce around or, or trying to get industry to uh, drive some standardization uh, so interesting to see um, um, what effect that has often government's not super successful at pushing these things forward but uh, I think the commerciality and the necessity of this will kind of start to drive more adoption next year. Well I was uh, on a panel it was last year with a um, lady from the Conveyancing Association who pointed out I think I'm going to say a number I can't remember exactly right but it was you know many thousands of separate conveyances they've got that are members uh, and you know trying to kind of um, get some agreement and standardization between them is quite a challenge from them as well so I wonder if if perhaps speed and technology would perhaps commercially become a bit of a differentiator. And I guess if you come to Tybido looking for convincing uh, um, you know, partners, that probably would become, you know, that'd be really a key reason why you choose them, right? If, if it's a part of that, that journey. So um, be interesting to see how, how that develops. Definitely. So I guess you, so Vida, uh, you know, you've, you've been in the market for a good couple of years now, uh, but you're, you know, going through a process, I guess, of reinvention and kicking on to go to the next, next stage. Uh, so I guess we probably would class you as an incumbent to a certain degree. Um, have you got any advice for kind of other people within incumbent lenders and other organisations that are kind of perhaps not, you know, early on in thinking about that we need to do something, but we're not quite sure where to start, you know, how they should approach that in terms of process and, uh, and, and approach. Hmm. So I think there's probably a couple of ways of doing it. And again, this is me more in my previous consulting land than, than necessarily at Vida, I guess. But um, I think you know, the first is just ongoing operational improvement and you know, incremental benefit and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I think the one thing that I did take, a, you know, when I was in Accenture Strategy in the last couple of years that I was there, there was a huge push on zero-based everything. Um, I know that the, the notion of kind of um, zero-based budgeting has been around for quite a long time, but mm. we kind of expanded that proposition, I guess, to kind of encompass everything so zero-based operation you know zero-based design like the yeah. whole kind of thing and I think um again this is speaking kind of from my previous background this is not really what Vida's up to but um it's just kind of really challenging at, at kind of regular points so that could be once every six months once mm -hmm. every 12 months but just kind of trying to remove yourself from day-to-day -day really and just say okay if we were almost going to start again yeah um because that's what startups have right they have a blank sheet but if we're going to start again what would we do and mm -hmm. clearly we then you know, that's kind of the ultimate kind of dream vision of, of where you might need to get to and then gradually kind of work that back into okay well these are the constraints that we currently have these are the things that, that we kind of see as right for disruption within the industry or they know that already seen them starting to kind of get involved in particular areas and then almost kind of use that to then prioritize the types of activities that you maybe go after um, and then I think that, that there is then um, again that kind of um, 
more broad, I suppose, uh, reflection, which is, okay, well, well can I um, make those amendments and be that flexible to try and get me to that end point, given the constraints that I have? Mm. Or actually, do I kind of need to say, you know what, I need to kind of start fresh. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and certainly in a number of the conversations I had with, with the lenders when I was working essentially, like that was pretty much in every conversation we had. Um, and it's how to do that kind of smoothly and obviously kind of the transition. And I think that's where, um, you know, the kind of more modern tools of, uh, minimum viable products and kind of launching new things into the, into the world, kind of getting people feedback on the beta testing, that sort of stuff is super important so that actually you can kind of gradually sell off your pipeline on your and ramp up on your, on your new system. Yes, that makes sense. And I guess um, um, there are tools, as you sort of alluded to now, and processes that enable you to kind of move beyond, you know, often companies understand there might be some challenges around servicing or, you know, the, the, the experience of brokers, but actually, mm -hmm. There are tools that enable you to kind of move beyond a hunch or different people's opinions to actually validate and test as you alluded to earlier around lab testing and others i guess a, a super powerful thing is you know if, you're, if you have an idea for a blank piece of paper reimagining your business so we did some work uh, um, last year with a big health insurance company on this proposition thinking okay if you started from a blank piece of paper uh, and had no challenges of internal legacy systems or whatnot what would be the optimum mobile first future health insurance digital journey so that was a really fun, exciting project that, that we worked on a couple of weeks. And effectively, you could prototype and bring these ideas to life, uh, some of them quite radically different uh, from how it works at the moment, and then test these ideas with users. So you get that feedback early on, like, is this a good idea or a bad idea? Do users want or not want this? And ultimately, that enables you to kind of sense check that before you've invested too much money. I think that's a really powerful thing that startups can sort of teach incumbents, in my view, is, is around that process of kind of assuming nothing, build small, test validate etc um which is, is what we did we realized obviously for the the chat bot and some other recent recent works i think that that kind of process is incredibly powerful um yeah. and i think also just within um kind of my role within change you know um we've tried to move a lot more towards design thinking mentality so um really kind of you know, yeah it's, it's slightly difficult in a remote environment but using tools like mural and that sort of thing mm -hmm. actually kind of whiteboard out that stuff um, yeah. Obviously, that like you mentioned doing the kind of low fi high fi prototyping. Um, even though the remote sessions, there's still so many tools out there that you can use to, mm -hmm. um, you know, to do that test, do that upfront testing as early as possible. And for us, mm -hmm. it's as important to do that, obviously, with our interviews and our customers, um, as it is actually with our colleagues. And even to some extent, um, we are starting to do that with our uh, partners in the market as well. Yes, that's interesting. It's often the internal users sometimes kind of overlooked in this in this testing. But so you're you're testing these internal platforms. So obviously with the underwriters and, and similar. Yeah, because we kind of see that like ultimately, you know, if, it, if an intermediary calls into our business, mm. um, it's as important for our colleagues to be able to understand and kind of empathize with those intermediaries and understand exactly where they're up to um, and why they're asking the particular questions they're asking, yeah. um, at, you know, as, as it is for the intermediaries in a way, because, you know, so they're serving at the end of the day. Yes. And obviously you're, you're getting strong direction, you know, for this to work, you know, leadership has to be completely bought into this. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a key component as well, I guess. Um, cool, it sounds like really exciting times ahead. Uh, lots of stuff in the works. I know that you're sort of busy building at the moment and um, I guess next year perhaps we can uh, uh, start to see the kind of fruits of, of some of that uh, out in the market. Um, so really insight, you know, useful insights that you shared there, Vicky. Is there anything you want to sort of end on as a last piece of advice for, for those, um, those in the market? I think it's just, um, sounds cheesy, but it's just there to dream. It's there to challenge the status quo. And um, 
I mean, I get quite often told off my husband for possibly being a bit too passionate about my work. Um, okay. Mortgages were so fun, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I think that I think you can you can make you can make it fun. I think the environment that you work in, um, the huge opportunities that there are in this industry, uh, and more excitingly, I guess, just personally for us, just like a leader again, kind of one of the reasons why I took the job is um, actually being able to then kind of put that into practice and hopefully, uh, yeah, be able to make a difference. We kind of go forwards and mortgage land I guess. <laughs> Good stuff I love that that, love that positive end. Good well, well thanks a lot for joining uh, today Vicky and um, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah thank you very much for having me. Bye. Bye.